0: Greetings, adventurers, and welcome to another episode of Vitamin D&D, your weekly dose of Dungeons & Dragons, just what the DM ordered. I'm your host, Patrick, and here with me today, as always, is my fellow co-host and party member, Brady.
1: Hello there, and might I say, that was a mm, fine-sounding introduction.
0: Well, thank you. Reading it right off the script there.
1: Oh, you're getting better and better at it.
0: (laughs) I, I appreciate that. That's uh. If anybody else needs to me to read any intros, uh, you know, you know where to find me. Look us up. Look us up. <laughs> we do. I feel, feel like uh, I can I can read whatever you want, whatever you want. Just the right. price. Right. You uh you, you had a zero on that, and now we're talking. So All right. $10? Ten dollars. <laughs> ten dollars. Be ten pesos. God Futurama. All right. Um. So uh tonight um let's see what are we what are we talking about last week
1: last week we talked about etiquette and um table manners around the table and right. just how to respect one another while playing and also yeah. have fun
0: and that's a perfect example you know take good notes that way you can look back on it and say what did we do last week in our adventure so that was uh unintended that's right. great that tip. one's
1: free that one's for free
0: there you go that's a hot tip all right um hot so tech. Um we're, we're wrapping up this season so just a few more things that we're going to touch on to kind of close out all the general knowledge that you probably should know that's going to help you out um, as you go forward on your first adventure or as you start to lead people through your adventure as a first time dungeon master, you know if you if you decide you want you know live that hard life and uh, so during this, Episode we're gonna be talking about adventuring, which seems pretty generic. Of course, you know adventuring—what a broad topic! But there's a few little details that the player's handbook talks about in uh, chapter eight, and uh, we just want to go through those to make sure we cover them. And guess what? Like I said last week, we're talking about long rest. It's gonna be—we're
1: doing it. We are doing great. it this time.
0: I'm gonna finally talk yeah, about there's, it. There's a couple
1: of things. Yeah, we're, we're going to do it. We're getting to it. Yeah. But there are a couple of things um, in this. Uh, we're going to be talking about Chapter 8 in the Player's Handbook. And we've already covered some of these topics a little bit more yeah. in depth in previous episodes, so we're not really going to talk about them much. But we'll we'll mention them, just so you know, that's mentioned in this chapter. But um, it's stuff that we've already talked about at length, like role-playing and yeah, we devoted a how the game works, of sort of. Yeah. So, so, so like, just be aware, we'll, we'll just mention it, that it's important and it's in this chapter, but uh, we're going to focus on some, some other aspects that you may not think about when playing Dungeons and Dragons. Cause everybody just wants to, you know, kill things, loot things, but there's a few other things that go into it.
0: Not true. All right. So first thing that uh, doesn't matter that we're going to talk about, um, it's kind of the time and movement uh, that goes along with your adventuring. So, during adventures, um, your dungeon master, as a dungeon master, you may use minutes, hours, or even days whenever you describe for your players the passage of time. And when you kind of think about it um, in detailed activities, whether it be you know, you're kind of trudging through a, uh, a dungeon, whether you're doing some interactions in a tavern course that's typically gonna fall within like minutes you know you're gonna describe things like you know a few minutes go by and then somebody walks in or then if you want to talk about you know something a little less detailed maybe as you're traveling over a longer distance or kind of more passage of time then you're going to get into the hours and then of course following that traveling over long distances with most office often used days and for the most part as a dungeon master you're hopefully not going to be using the, and then three days later kind of to glaze over little bits of the adventure. Three
1: hours later.
0: (laughs) Three hours later. Um, But in some cases, you know, it may just be that way, um, or you may just describe it, you know, and then at the close of the third day, you find the abandoned castle kind of thing where, you know, that there's not really going to be anything going on. The party's already gone through a bunch of encounters, that sort of thing. Um, But that's one thing you also, as a Dungeon Master, you want to make sure that you kind of give your players the opportunity to, if they want to do things kind of in between days during long travel, give them that opportunity to do. And we'll be talking about that a little bit later on in this episode, some things you can do between adventuring.
1: Yeah, and something to go along with that with, you know, the, the minutes, hours, days type thing. A lot of the time it does differ if you if you are playing that kind of a little bit more hardcore or meticulous campaign where mm-hmm. you know you're having to watch your rations and make sure you have supplies and stuff like that then the days and things like that will be more important but just in kind of general play like how i've always played it and played with other people normally you know you're geared up and good it's like you know you travel a day you sleep at night or if you're just kind of wanting to move the for move the story on forward, then it's just kind of like as Patrick was saying, you know, you journey three days and at the end of that third day type of thing. So it's it's not something to really get bogged down in with, um, unless that's something you really do want to take into account. But, you know, just as you see fit, I mean you'll you'll get a feel for it and you'll know how you want your time to pass or if something is gonna be important happening. But one one important thing to think about that is if they have some sort of deadline uh, that the party is trying to get to, yeah, like they yeah, have to get definitely. there by you know, the summer solstice or they have a certain spell that only lasts a certain amount of hours or something like that, then yeah, you're going to want to kind of stretch that day out into breaking it down and thinking about, you know, what are you doing this hour? Or you get into this fight and it takes this long or you get bogged down in this swamp and that took this many hours or days off. So just bear that in mind. But o- overall, you're mostly just going to be traveling and then, you know, spending time in a tavern or whatever like that. So it's not super important, but, you know, it, it, it can play a, an important role.
0: Yeah. Um, and there there's even cases uh, like in the first campaign for Critical Role where I believe they, they even had one section where like a year passed or more and they you know, kind of, didn't just gloss over it, but it was kind of at that point in their campaign where they had kind of wrapped up a lot of loose ends and they all had, you know, other things they wanted to do, maybe not necessarily as a party. And so they decided to kind of, you know, split off into ones and twos or groups and that sort of thing. And then as a, you know, as a table kind of talking about, okay, what'd you, what'd you uh try to accomplish during this last year? Like, what were you up to? Like, and they kind of chronicled, like you know, I went over to this town and like, you know, lost all my money gambling and like had a great time, or you know, like grog, like messing with the uh, deck of many things, that sort of stuff. Um, so it's it's one way you can do it. Um, I thought that it worked well for that campaign, but uh, just be careful because you know, kind of taking away a lot of potential, you know, character growth, that sort of thing, role playing.
1: Yeah. But there are times when like specific times when travel is necessary and the speed of that travel is important, though. Isn't that right, Patrick?
0: Yeah. And typically, whenever you're talking about how fast you're traveling, it's going to be three different kind of speeds, which are listed on page 182. A nice little chat uh, in the player's handbook. And those speeds are fast normal and slow. And if you look at that chart, there's a lot of details about it that kind of describe, you know, okay, fast means you're traveling this many miles per hour, which means you can travel this many miles in this many days and that sort of thing. So just reference that chart. But the basics of what you need to know is that if you're traveling slow, that's going to allow you to potentially be stealthy. If you want to maybe sneak or travel with a greater chance of not being noticed. That sort of thing, travel carefully. Normal is normal, and then if you want to travel fast, traveling fast might put you in a or it will put you at a disadvantage for noticing things along the way, whether it be a trap set up for you or some important detail that you <laughs> were trying to look for while you were traveling fast. So, it's one thing to take into consideration, kind of the advantage disadvantage of both. Yeah, and um, go oh, go ahead. No, that's right. I was gonna say, and there's also a bunch of special movement types, kind of in that same vein. Yeah, as well. Yeah, like climbing, swimming, jumping, and those are covered on page 182 as well. Um, and in most of those cases, like climbing and swimming, it just means that kind of your movement is a little bit slower. And so, just take a look at the details on those different sections. To, it'll list what exactly comes into play with those kind of special movements
1: yeah and there there are specific like raw rules you know rules is written that dictate certain things but a lot of that just comes down to dm discrepancy where you know every every situation is going to be different so you'll you can just roll with it as a dm and just kind of be like well it has this difficulty rating, you know or it slows you down this much so yeah it's that's more of just kind of a how you feel as a dm just to, to do it
0: right yeah one of those uh, great chances for as a dungeon master to either stick to the rules as written, they're there and they're easy to write down and take note of, or you can look at them and say, well, of course, you know, these guys are good swimmers. So maybe they're not slowed down so much, that sort of thing.
1: That's right. Yeah. Um, But then we'll move on to other activities just while traveling. And um, these kind of go along with kind of the speed stuff we were talking about um, to the fact of it affects things while you're traveling and things you can notice. So one of the big things is going to be marching order, and that's basically just how your characters, um, if you, the DM, are kind of gearing up for or they're slowing down and going into a place of danger or something, um, marching order is important to the DM to know who's where. Um, so like whoever's in first will be you know, more likely to hit a trap or somebody in the back is more likely to get ambushed or something like that. But a, a DM will typically ask the order uh, that an adventure party is traveling in. Um, and this, again, comes into, the play, comes into play when determining what the party perceives from the front side and the rear, uh, and it's also very important when you get attacked. So, again, like let's just say they're walking down a road with woods on either side. Um, you, as the group, need to decide things that are tactically important, but also the DM needs to know uh, just from his perspective of where his creatures or things or traps are at. And who's going to encounter what first um, and stuff like that. So that's basically just saying we're walking down the road, our barbarians in front um, after that is, I don't know, the druid. And then we have the cleric in the middle and the wizard and in the back is the rogue. And then there you go. And you just start walking and you encounter things and depending on their order is who reaches whatever has in store, you know, first. So.
0: Yeah. And it's, you know, it's not just traveling necessarily like down a road. This could also just be, you know, we're in a dungeon and we're about to walk down a hallway to travel from this room to this room. And it's a narrow hallway. You gotta, you gotta say, all right, who's going first? Who's going second? That way, you know, you're in order. So it's not necessarily like those long traveling examples, but also just traveling from right. room to room, you know, traveling down a narrow hallway or you know, whatever, across the narrow bridge. Yeah,
1: because sort of yeah, you can't say we go down the hallway and then you encounter a trap and then say, oh, uh, well, our rogue was in front and he has high perception. It's like, well, you didn't state that. And that's why it's stated who's going first or whatever. So yeah, it, so it, it is, is pretty important.
0: Yeah, and as a dungeon master, you want to make sure that you've got, you know, you kind of prompt your players to determine their marching order um, for your sake as well as theirs.
1: yep so then the next thing is going to be stealth um again this comes into both traveling uh, if that's something that you're wanting to do and just traveling through as patrick was saying through dungeons or through any type of places that you want to stealth so characters can travel slowly as long as they avoid being out in the open and um they can you know they can possibly sneak up on enemies if they are being quiet enough so if you're sneaking through the woods or through a dungeon and you're all stealthed, uh, you might be able to get the drop on some goblins that are in a room that didn't hear you coming, as opposed to just la-di-da-di-da walking down the road or, you know, walking down the street or the the hallway, and then they'd be able to hear you, and it's like, well, blew your surprise.
0: Right. And that would be situation where the dungeon master would ask you to roll a stealth check, which, too, mm-hmm. so, gotta be stealthy sneaky. Um, which, another... You know, one another check we've mentioned over and over again is your perception check, which goes into noticing threats. So like we talked about, if you're moving fast, that might put you in a disadvantage for noticing threats because it's going to make you incur a negative five penalty to your passive perception, Um, which is not not good. Yeah,
1: Um, no, not good at all.
0: Yeah. So sometimes you want to go fast. Sometimes you want to go slow. It's a risk reward kind of thing. So you may not notice that hidden threat. And then that would bring you to the next part, which is encountering creatures. So if you don't notice it, um, or if you do know somebody, then that may lead you to encountering um, another group, whether it be creatures, other travelers, that sort of thing, which then kind of brings up, you know, well, how is this encounter going to go down? It's kind of up to both groups. Like, what happens next? Uh <laughs> And that may be whether, you know, if they decide, you guys decide to attack each other, one group decides to attack the other, somebody decides to run away, maybe you can try to talk, you know, negotiate, be like, hey, hey, like, we're just, we're just traveling, like, not any threat to you, like, go about your business kind of thing. Um, Or if you are, you know, you may just be waiting to see like what the other group's doing, you may not be sure what their intentions are, and you may just want to kind of wait it out and yeah kind of or sneak past him yeah and hopefully in the sneakiness you if need be can have surprise which we've talked about a little bit and goes into there's a little bit deeper detailed section on surprise and determining surprise in chapter nine of the player's handbook and so typically surprise is going to be something the, the dungeon master determines whether you know one group is being sneaky, whether one group is able to perceive the other one. And that's going to affect, you know, if, if combat does start, you know, who might be able to get the drop on somebody, that sort of thing.
1: Yep. And, um, there are a few quick other little things that we're just going to mention real quick about, um, during travel or, you know, long travels or going through dungeons or anything like that, or just making their way to, from place to place. Uh, so there's like navigation, you can draw a map, you can track, uh, and you can also forage. So of course navigating, um, you can get lost if that's how your DM wants to, to play things. Uh, so the characters can try to prevent the group from becoming lost. Uh, you have to make a wisdom survival check uh, when the DM calls for it. So that's just being able to make your way through the woods or through the mountains or you know, whatever type of situation that may be there. Uh, going along with that, Uh, your characters can also draw a map as they're going from place to place. And um, that records the group's progress and just helps the characters get back on course if they get lost. And that doesn't require an ability check. So that's just kind of a good way if you're wanting to try and, you know, find another path around this one thing or sneak somewhere or just go off the road. um, If you're just saying, Hey, we're going to make a map as we go, then it's a good way to help you from getting, from getting lost. And then also there's tracking, um, so characters can follow the tracks of another creature by making another wisdom survival check uh, when the DM calls for it. And then we've talked about the rangers have, you know, their preferred uh, terrain and their preferred enemy and things like that. So that's kind of where it comes in if you're tracking a specific person. But um, anybody can do it. Some characters may be better at it because they have higher uh, wisdom and survival checks, and some may be worse. But anybody can give it a shot, and you can track it. And then one of the last things that you'll do kind of if, if your DM is so inclined or this is how you're playing it uh, to kind of, you know, keep the whole survival thing and hardcore going is foraging. So the characters can keep an eye out for ready sources of food and water by making another wisdom survival check when the DM calls for it. So that's kind of, if that's the kind of campaign you're running in, then um, then you'll have to be making those types of checks and things uh, while you are traveling. But Normally, you don't really have to worry about it much if you're more of a just kind of a laid back uh, campaign that you're playing in.
0: Yeah, and uh, going back to the drawing the map thing, that's something that I feel like I always try to work into um, a campaign because you know typically in this kind of world for adventurers, maps may be kind of scarce, and so you may have somebody who would pay pretty well for and it, the adventuring parties know, well-recorded maps, that sort of thing, as they delve into, you know, interesting parts of the world. You know, they may have kind of a commission, kind of a ongoing relationship with a cartographer, you know, feed them information and they can make maps for everybody to use. And, you know, everybody's happy. Everybody gets paid.
1: Yeah. And possible, uh, you know, kind of side quests slash bigger quest lines that you see fit if you you want to use, you know. Yeah. Make me a map.
0: Mike. i'm the map on the map oh you beat me to it <laughs> oh man <laughs> i'm the map um on the map <laughs> all right so uh of course in adventuring um, you're going to be going through the environment you know while you're trying to make a map you're going to encounter nature whether that be delving into dark dangerous places or traveling through the woods you know over mountains that sort of thing and you're going to encounter a lot of different things kind of that are environmentally different related. Different dangers on the road. Yeah. So first one um, that a lot of people encounter is falling. And the Player's Handbook actually outlines you know, how falling damage works. And so you're not like a video game character who can just jump from anything and be good. Um, if you fall more than 10 feet, then, uh, and you know, depends on what the dungeon master decides. If the dungeon master, you know, if you're falling controlled like and it's not too high, dungeon master may, you know, be like, ah, you're, you're fine, you're good. And if you've got a good athletic score or a good acrobatic score, that sort of thing. And so, if you're falling, you're going to take t- uh, 1d6 bludgeoning damage for every 10 feet that you fall, and that can lead up to a maximum of 20 d6 um so that'd be like a 200 foot um fall is that right in my math
1: and possible death
0: yeah um and so that's a great way to die um if you want to see a great example of that uh look up the goldfish um i was about to mention the same thing (laughs) um from (laughs) campaign one of critical role where marisha ray's character uh (laughs) jumps off a cliff and uh and all of Keeleth's wisdom decides to turn into a goldfish and just boom, hits the rock real good. Uh, yeah. did not, was not pretty at all. Nope. Um, so be careful before you go jumping off cliffs. Um, look you before be, you leap. You may be above level 15, but that does not mean you're a god, okay? Um, <laughs> another thing you can get into is suffocating. Um, and this, I mean, I feel like this kind of comes up more in like the diving underwater type situation or being shoved into a bag of holding. Uh, so as a, as a player, a, a creature um, or, you know, creature, player, character, that's what sort it, of, well, players, you probably can't hold your breath this long. Char- characters and creatures can hold their breath equal to one plus your constitution modifier and that many minutes. So if you've got a constitution modifier of plus four, that means you can hold your breath for five minutes, which is insane. Um, And so after you run out of breath, um, you can then survive for a number of rounds equal to your constitution modifier. And at the end of that, then you drop to zero hit points and start rolling those death saves. So... One thing to keep in mind: don't don't try to hold your breath too long.
1: Yeah. No bueno.
0: No bueno. Come up with you know. There's and there's spells to like allow you to breathe underwater, and there's potions. We
1: have there. magic, people.
0: <laughs> we have the tools. We can. The we can, the weave. There's we, a better way. We have the weave. Can tap we, into the we weave.
1: I, I don't know. <laughs>
0: um, so and the next thing, uh, Brady, you want to talk about vision and light, which is uh. I think this section is, we can bounce back and forth, but a lot of it is sometimes a little misunderstood.
1: Yeah, and this is something that really comes into play a lot um, in dungeoneering and going into dungeons and stuff like that, especially kind of the deeper, darker holds of places that you're going into. But, of course, vision is very important, and light, because you need, for the most part, you need light for vision. But, um, so it's there's kind of different breakdowns of it Uh, so the two main things are lightly obscured and heavily obscured so um in a lightly obscured area such as like a dim light patchy fog or moderate moderate foliage creatures have disadvantage on wisdom which are perception checks that rely on sight and uh, we'll get here in just a minute we'll get into what the difference between bright light dim light and darkness is Uh, But So that's for lightly obscured. But then there's heavily obscured areas such as darkness, opaque fog, or dense foliage that blocks vision entirely. And a creature in heavily obscured area effectively becomes blind and they suffer from the blinded condition, which is in the Appendix A in the back of the book. But um, off the top of my head, I'm trying to think what those
0: conditions are.
1: Do you know those off the top of your head there, Patrick? Um, I mean, I'm sure that you like disadvantage disadvantage
0: and, on all attacks and saving throws. Um, or, I mean, like dexterity.
1: Yeah, here we go. Uh, a blinded creature can't see and automatically fails any ability check that requires sight. Attack rolls against this creature have advantage, and the creature's attack rolls have disadvantage. So, that's, that's blinded. So, yeah. just bear that in mind. And Pat, do you want to cover the, the difference between the different kind of lights and... Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, um, in most situations, you know, whether you're running your own campaign that you've homebrewed and created, or running a module, your kind of environment is going to be described for you, and you're going to want to provide your descriptions whenever you create settings. And typically, a lot of time, ta- like a lot of times, the the light situation is really important. So, first thing I'm going to talk about is bright light. And bright light is pretty self-explanatory. It lets creech- most creatures see normally. So even gloomy days provide bright light, and as do torches, lanterns, fires, pretty much any other source of illumination. But sometimes those have a specific radius. Um, and typically on items uh, like torches and stuff, it'll probably say like the radius that it provides bright light and then what the dim light is past that. Which dim light, like, is uh, the next one, and that is also called shadows, and it creates a lightly obscured area, like Brady said, the lightly obscured section, which means if you're seeing it as that you know dimly lit area, that means you're going to have disadvantage on perception checks that rely on sight, like he talked about. Um, it's typically the boundary between um, bright light and surrounding darkness. Um, it's the soft light of twilight and dawn. Uh, a particularly brilliant full moon might uh, might be dim light instead of darkness. And then darkness, um, which creates a heavily obscured area. And this is not magical darkness. There is, um, there is a magical effect um, called darkness. This is not that. This is just natural. It's dark out there. Um, And it creates a heavily obscured area. Creatures um, face darkness outdoors at night. Um, Even on most moonlit nights, like I said, full moon might bump you up to dim light. Most other nights, no. And within the confines of an unlit dungeon or subterranean vault, or um, actually, sorry, and it does talk about, or in an area of magical darkness. So, I mean, this is also talks about magical darkness. So, same thing. Um, it's gonna be really dark. You're not gonna see well. It, it's
1: darkness, but it's not darkness,
0: right? Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's really dark, but it's not. It's not dark. Um, and like I said, or like Brady said, it is a darkness is a heavily obscured area, and so that blocks your vision entirely and gives you a blinded condition, unless you've got um some things that are gonna help you out with that, such as.
1: Yeah, such as dark vision. Uh, there's actually three types of other kind of visions or sights visions. that there are. Yeah, um, it's blind sight, dark vision, and then true sight. Uh, but we'll we'll just go ahead and start with blind sight. Uh, so blind sight, you can imagine this as creatures that don't have eyes, but they have other ways of sensing and perceiving their surroundings. So think about things like. You know, there's oozes that don't have eyes, or there might be something like a bat, that, like a bat creature that has echolocation, uh, or just like a, I don't know, some type of blind wolf that has heightened smell and hearing and stuff like that. You know, anything where they don't have eyes, but they can still sense their surroundings, uh, that would be called blind sight. Uh, and then I'm going to save dark vision for last because it's the one that we typically use the most or you hear the most about. Mm-hmm. So then the other one's going to be true sight and this is going to be things not a whole lot of creatures or things can have this. And it's usually your more powerful creatures that have it. Um, but it's just like any other kind of a light thing. It it does have a range, but, um, within that specific range, uh, the creature with true sight can see normal and magical darkness. So they can see invisible creatures and objects and automatically detect visual illusions and succeed on saving throws against them. Um, and perceives the original form of shapeshifters or a creature that is transformed by magic. So basically, they can see through illusions. They can see through things like they don't have to really try or anything like that. So if somebody comes in with, uh, you know, like uh, some sort of spell on them to make them look different and be in disguise, like they're going to see right through it and they're going to know what's up. Um, or um, if somebody's invisible, they'll be able to see them. So think about like Frodo with his ring on. Uh, if he's got it on, he's invisible. But anything with true sight was going to be able to see him. Um, and also, this creature or whoever has this sight can see into the ethereal plane, which there are some ways that you can travel to the ethereal plane um, with, like blink and some other things like that. So even if you were blunked or in <laughs> blink, you can you can uh, they they would still be able to see you and, and perceive you. But the one you're going to hear the most about is going to be dark vision. So there's a lot of different creatures and a lot of different races um, that do have dark vision. So just thinking like dwarves, elves, um, dark elves,
0: and dark elves have oh, superior what else has? dark vision?
1: So yeah, yeah, that's a whole other thing. And so
0: their dark vision is even greater range,
1: even better. Um, but yeah, but it, it basically just means within a specific range, a creature with dark vision can see in the darkness as if the darkness were dim light. Uh, so I know that kind of sounds weird, but basically they can see in dim light how normally someone would see in normal light. Um, so, um, so in areas of darkness that are only lightly obscured as far as the, the creature is concerned is basically just normal for them. But, but However, the creature can't discern colors in darkness, only shades of gray. So again, in terms of a radius, you've got your bright light, and then the dim light, and then darkness. So creatures with dark vision can see in that dim light like it would be just normal light. So basically, just allows them to see a little bit further in in the dark and, and in dim light.
0: Yeah, and you know, even you know, kind of the I guess the thing that people get hung up on is they want to have a race that has dark vision because they think that that kind of gives them the like night vision goggles kind of thing, but even so if you've got dark vision and you're seeing darkness but you're you know you're going to see it as dim light you still are going to have disadvantage on your perception checks so even you know without any kind of light you're still going to be at disadvantage it doesn't make you um it doesn't make you like a bat it doesn't give you blind sight it's it's still still a little handicapped all right so regardless of whether you can see or not what you all are just waiting for in this episode is resting.
1: (laughs) 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 Uh, Yes.
0: (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, here we are. Um, Finally going to talk about it that way. You know what in the world Brady's talking about when he says he's going to see you after your long rest. So as heroic as your adventures may be, they can't just trudge on forever. They're, they're mortal. In most cases, uh, you may you may get to Immortal later on in like level 20. But um, most for the most case, you're mortal. They need rest. You need time to sleep, time to eat, which gives you the ability to tend to your wounds, kind of refresh your mind, and kind of delve back and shore up that arsenal of spells if you're a spellcaster, and you know give you the chance to get ready for the next thing, the next fight, the next adventure, that sort of thing. And there's two kinds of rests. There's short rests and there's long rests. And adventurers can take short rests in the middle, you know, throughout the day. Um, and it says that long rests are typically at the end of the day. I guess if if you're in a dungeon, you can't necessarily tell what the end of a day is. <laughs> so you might be taking a long rest in the middle of the day. So I feel like that, that part's a little... Screwy, but it doesn't really matter. Um, but believe you can only take um and may get into it down here. Oh yeah, we'll talk about in a second. You can only take a long rest and get get its benefits once in a twenty four hour period. So you can't just like just keep long rest and you know sleeping the day away. You're only gonna get the benefits once during a twenty four hour period. So talking first about short rest. A short rest is a period of downtime, and it has to be at least one hour long per the rules as written here. I've heard some people you know, call it 30 minutes, that sort of thing. Um, it has to be at least one hour long per the rules as written. And during that time, a character does nothing more strenuous than eating, drinking, reading, or tending to their wounds. A character can spend their hit dice, um, which whenever we created our character, we talked about each character class awards different hit dice. And you know you use the same kind of dice to determine hit points, but you kind of get this reserve of hit dice to roll whenever you're taking a short rest, and you can add the result back to your hit points. So it's a way to kind of rest up, tend to your wounds, and that's kind of the in-game representation of that short rest kind of break. Um,
1: yes, and, especially if you don't have like a healer in the group, or you run right. out of you know, healing potions and stuff.
0: Yeah, especially at, like, lower levels, even if you do have a healer, you know, healer may be tapped out on their healing spells if you just got done with a fight. And so hit dice can be a friend, um, especially, you know, early in the adventure and even later in the adventure whenever you've got tons of hit dice to roll. Um, and so you can, you don't have to determine, you know, whenever you roll hit dice, you know, how many that you're going to roll. You can roll one, and if it doesn't have a big result, you can say, okay, I need more hit points. I'll roll a second hit dice. So you can just keep rolling them until, you're, you know, until you've spent all your hit dice. And you regain, I think, half of your hit dice back at the end of a long rest, um, which we'll talk about now. A long rest is a period of extended downtime. It has to be at least eight hours long during which a character sleeps or performs light activity, reading, talking, eating, or standing, watch for no more than two hours. So the good thing about a long rest, as rules as written, it kind of builds in that um, if you've got to kind of keep watch around the campfire for enemies, that sort of thing, it has that that time period built in. You, know, you can stand watch for no more than two hours and still accomplish your long rest within that eight-hour period. Um, now, if that rest, that long rest gets interrupted by a period of strenuous activity, which can be at least one hour of walking, fighting, casting spells. Um, so, sorry, let me make sure that that's clear. It's at least one hour of walking, not then one hour of fighting, just any kind of fighting, any kind of casting spells, or any other similar adventuring activity, which is a very vague thing, to <laughs> a very vague statement. Um, the characters will need to begin their rest again to begin to get that benefit, that 8-hour rest. They're going to have to start again. Um, at the end of the long rest, like I said, um, or each character regains all their lost hit points. So if you're really hurting and a long rest makes more sense, you are going to regrain, regain all your hit points, not just what you get back from your hit dice. And you regain your half of your hit dice um, every time you take a long rest like I uh, explained earlier um, so that way you can then keep using those during those short rests um, and like I said you can't benefit from a long rest more than once in a 24 hour period um, so that's it that's that's long rest
1: and now, and now you can see why it's so important
0: yeah and it's you know it's a short you know short little three-paragraph section in the Player's Handbook, um, but it's really important, and you want to kind of be strategic with your rests, especially your long rest. Um, typically, long resting inside of a scary dungeon is not a good thing, unless you've got some pretty good protections. Um, but it's possible, especially if you've got uh, some magic wizards to give you something like a Liaman's Tiny Hut, that sort of thing. Um it's, it, it's doable, but typically short rests are kind of the more common thing in the middle of a dungeon.
1: Yep. Yeah, so talking about things in between sort of, you know, your big-time adventure stuff, um, we're going to get into things. just kind of mention a few things real quick here to close up on just about, like, downtime activities. Um, but one of the things that you'll sometimes isn't really taken into, into consideration a lot Uh, because it's not really a huge bearing on your character, but it's more like how you play your character and how your other characters perceive you is going to be your lifestyle expenses. So it's basically you choose to live a certain way, live in comfort or live in not so much comfort. Hmm. Um, It's basically a way for you to either use up a lot of money, which might I add real quick, a thunderstorm rolled in just all of a sudden here uh so if you do hear something in the background it's just some thunder so don't (laughs) mind that but just wanted to point that out um but basically lifestyle expenses you spend more money to live more comfortably or spend less money to not live as comfortably but again it doesn't really take much real effect on your character just more of a kind of a role-playing thing yeah Um, but yeah go ahead
0: i was gonna say in that uh that chart, it's in chapter five on page one fifty-seven. It lists like the lifestyle expenses, of kind of, and it it talks about each of the categories. You know whether you're living a squalid life or a modest life or aristocratic life. Each of those kind of has a certain expectation of how much you're going to spend per day to maintain that life. Um, and if you want to play, you know, I guess that in depth. Um, That's deep in the role play. I guess I never have, I've, I've not had it be used too intensely um, with adventures. Um, you know, if you've come from, I, w- I haven't had any dungeon master say, well, you come from a noble background, so that means you need to pay 10 gold pieces a day because you're a noble and you expect to have an aristocratic background. We'd be bankrupt uh <laughs> adventurers if we all tried to uh, do that. <laughs> what what?
1: <laughs> yeah. But so. but if that is a way that you're either wanting to play your character or your DM makes that kind of states that right in how the campaign's gonna be run, just go with it, I guess.
0: Yeah. Like I said, pay one page one fifty seven. It's chapter five. Um and so like Brady said, we're gonna get into the Downtime activities, and this is something that I guess I had never really read into um, during my previous campaigns, but it's something that's really, you know, really cool. I saw fellow players use it um, as kind of um, kind of like an opportunity to continue being a part of the game and continue developing their characters um, whenever they might not be able to show up for a session or two. Like, you know, I was deployed and I had a friend who... Was on leave, and so he had talked with the dungeon master about you know, things that he wanted to do while we continued to adventure. Um, things that his character wanted to do back in our little town of our uh, base of operations, kind of thing. And it's you know, it's some cool stuff that you can do. Uh, like first one they talk about is crafting, so you can craft non-magical objects. So it could be a really good thing for your random carpenters tools that comes along with your background. And you're like, what am I going to use these for? This can be something you can, I mean, you can craft non-magical objects, including adventuring equipment and works of art. So it may be something you could even sell, you know, set up a little shop at your flea market, that sort of thing, sell some trinkets. Um, and so it talks about kind of the rules um, that are represented for each of the downtime activities Like, for instance, for every day of downtime you spend crafting, you can craft one or more items with a total market value not exceeding five gold pieces. And you must expend raw materials worth half the total market value. Okay? So just kind of cool little tidbits that add to the role-playing kind of give a cool opportunity of something to do in between adventures. All right. Um, and in addition to crafting, kind of along the same vein, there's the section about practicing a profession. And so if you practice a profession, you know, whether it be part of your backstory, like maybe what you did before, you might have been a blacksmith, may have some blacksmithing tools, may have been a brewer, you want to go maybe work you know, part time in a local brewery, that sort of thing. If you choose to do that as part of your downtime activity, you can pretty much make enough money to maintain a modest lifestyle without having to kind of shore up that one gold piece per day cost um, for that lifestyle expense. And, you know, this can be something like if you're part of a a guild, a certain organization, um, if you're, you know, a cleric, maybe you have some experience like working in the temple, um, this can be part of that profession that you practice kind of in the part-time to continue maintaining that lifestyle while not having to pay that money. Just kind of a little bit of flavor, a little bit of extra. Um, And then another one, uh, and I'll mention it uh, real quick. It kind of, to me, it kind of goes in with like resting, um, like during those long rests and short rests kind of thing. There's the recuperating downtime activity. And during the recuperating downtime activity, um, you can spend three days recuperating. And after that three days, you can make a DC 15 constitution check. So you roll a constitution check. And as long as, you know, what you roll plus your modifier equals 15 or higher, um, that means that you can do one of the following, you know, you can choose one of the following results. So you can end one effect on you that prevents you from regaining hit points. So maybe that would be like poisoned, that sort of thing, or have you know some other sort of status effect. And another thing you can choose is for the next 24 hours, you gain advantage on saving throws against one disease or poison currently affecting you. So that may just kind of give you your kind of in-game resting up and kind of shoring up your, I guess, internal defenses against like some disease or poison that you got going on. So that might give you the advantage to roll, you know, roll a good saving throw and kind of get rid of that poison or disease. Yeah, like,
1: uh, like building up a, uh, an immunity to Iocane powder. So
0: yeah. Inconceivable. Um, <laughs> yeah. So if you want to, you know, take three days to recuperate and then you can, uh, you know, be immune to, or have advantage against uh, COVID-19, that could be good. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, um, so
0: you, you, heard it here, folks, just take three days you can and you'll, do it. Uh, you'll just... start rolling with advantage.
1: Yeah. I have some good rolls on it. Yeah. Um, and then rolling into the last two that we're going to cover real quick is going to be, uh, researching and training. And basically researching can be pretty, pretty handy, uh, if you do take the time to do it. So this can cover anything from like trying to gain insights or, uh, any type of, you know, get the upper hand on something by trying to figure out information by either, you know, researching dusty tomes and crumbling scrolls in a library or, you know, like buying drinks for somebody that, you know, might have some information and kind of, you know, trying to get the information out of them that way. And this is kind of up to the DM uh, where you could either just kind of role play it out maybe, or if you just want to save time, they can, have certain roles like investigation checks or performance checks or persuasion checks, or maybe intimidation checks, depending on how you go about it to get Mm -hmm. that research or, uh, make that information available to you that was hidden to you. Uh, so that's just a way for you to get more info for, for your travels. Yeah. And And then, uh, training.
0: And and say that the the researching is typically probably a pretty good, uh, idea for those wizards out there who trying to, uh, yeah. shore up their list of spells
1: get them spells and then there is training and basically you can spend time to um train a new maybe like a language or maybe a new fighting style or learn to use a new weapon or something like that but it does take a little bit longer or, or even like a set of tools like a tradesman's tools or any of the, any of those things like that Uh, but first you actually have to find an instructor that is willing to teach you. And then the DM uh, will determine about how long it would take and whether one or more ability checks are required. Um, So you kind of figure out how many days it would be. Um, But then in the book, it also just says that the training lasts for 250 days and costs one gold piece per day. But literally in the sentence and paragraph (laughs) before that, it says the DM determines how long it takes. So, just bear that in mind. It can either take a long time or a short time. Just think about what they're doing. So, like if they're learning a language, that may take you know several months or a year. Or if they're learning a new fighting style, that may take you know just a couple of months. Or if they're you know learning maybe a new spell, that might be just a couple of days of hard study or something like that. So, uh, there, there is a way that you can learn and train new new abilities um, that might be helpful on down the line, or even new proficiencies or something like that. So, but it's all DM kind of you know uh what's the word I'm looking for? Not specific. <laughs> determined by the DM. What's the word I'm
0: looking for? Um let's see. I mean uh, it's you know just kind of up to the <laughs> I don't know what you're trying to say. I know uh, I know what you're I trying to either. say, but um, I don't know how to say it. It's up it's not to the master. Yeah it's um, uh, preference. Uh
1: I just used the word earlier too. I don't know. Well anyways it's um, it's determined um, by the DM.
0: Um, it's a uh, it's their choice. <laughs> well, How do you, you go. want to say it? Yeah, <laughs> let me get out my thesaurus. Um, but uh, yeah. So, um, and that that can be. I've I've seen training used as kind of, um, maybe a way to. Kind of lead to maybe multi-classing type situations where, you kind of from a role-playing perspective, decide you know I'm. So I'm i I'm a monk, but I maybe want to multi class with rogue. Maybe my I have I want to have my character kind of get in good with the thieves guild, and try to learn from them some some rokies type type stuff. And that may be like a really cool like kind of role playing way to get to multi classing. So always a. Uh, an option and multi-classing is something we're going to talk about in season two, which is coming fast. Almost done. Yeah, season because one. we
1: are, we are nearing the end of season one. Uh, I think we've got, uh, one more episode after this and it's going to be, um, I know we've kind of talked a little bit about stuff from the DMs perspective, but this, uh, the next one's going to kind of be launching into more DM specific stuff. Uh, and what, kind of your first sessions and things will look like but uh that that it will be coming down the road but we are drawing to a, a close for this season but we will have more uh we're going to talk about that later uh but what's what to expect in season two
0: yeah looking forward to it again the basics are always good but it's always i find it always fun to start talking about the more advanced stuff you know
1: yeah step up your game
0: yeah all right Yep. but uh
1: you got anything else pat
0: no, I think that's about it. Um, you know, the adventuring section is something that you can kind of give and take, and you know, decide as a dungeon master or as a group. discretion.
1: Discretion—that's the word I was that's looking for. DM, DM discretion. 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 Yep. Sorry.
0: Proud of you. Um, so, <laughs> like I said, this chapter, um, the adventuring section, a lot of it you can kind of take it or leave it, shape it to meet up with what you want. Like there's a section about like food and water. Um, So if you want to get, you know, deep in the wood, in the weeds about, you know, making your guys forage for food or like take into account how much they've got, you know, Oh, well you said, you know, you got six days of rations and you're on day six. Uh oh, kind of thing. It just depends on how you want to play it. Um, How, how detailed, how nitty gritty, how real world, like, what's what's a good good uh good word for it. realism there we go um yeah. that gritty realism kind of thing so it just depends on what you want to do as a dungeon master or as a group of players and the dungeon master kind of talking it out so yep lots of cool stuff DM's down-
1: discretion
0: <laughs> um, and party's discretion <laughs> yeah like i said take a look at the downtime activities read through those sections because to me like those those sections are pretty cool so they can add some cool. Um, kind of cool role-playing, kind of cool character development. And if you, as a character, you say, like, well, I I wish that I could have chosen to have have this sort of skill. It matches up with my background and what my character is interested in, but I didn't, you know, get the chance to choose it because it's not an option for my class or whatever. Then this can be a way to kind of work on that by training or researching and all that. But, uh, I yep. think that's think that's it. Always for me. good stuff. I'll let you let you take it. Yeah, and
1: I think that's. Yeah, I was just gonna say that's it for <laughs> me too.
0: I'll, I'll okay, okay, here you go.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah that 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 is for me. Um, I think that's all I really had left. So, that's gonna be it for today's episode on adventuring and the time between. So we hope that you have enjoyed it and found it informative. Please consider, you know, reviewing us on your preferred podcasting listening platform. It would mean a lot to us. It would help us out a lot. Um, but along with that, let us know if you have any questions or let us know if there's something you'd like to hear about in a future episode or have questions about um, by emailing us at the vitamin D D podcast at gmail.com. That's the vitamin D, the letter N D D podcast at gmail.com or on our Facebook page at vitamin D and D podcast or our other Social media handles. We have Twitter, Instagram, yes, and, and nice. our website. You can just look. Someone Vitamin D and D podcast.
0: Talk to me on social media. Come on, guys. Like,
1: yeah, please join in. We want to hear from y'all. Yeah, we know tell, you're out there.
0: Tell me you don't like my memes. I don't care. Like, <laughs> it's fine. Tell it's, us
1: something. We do. We we honestly do want to hear from y'all. I mean, if you if you are listening, at least just you know pop on there and say hi or yeah. ask a question or you know something. Just let us know you're listening. You know, we we'd really appreciate it. Uh, so, you can check us out on there, and the, again, our handles are usually something to do with vitamin D and d podcast. Uh, yeah. but if you just search us on those platforms you 'll find us and as, uh, as i mentioned our website, before, website anything,
0: at- sorry <laughs> jump on top of you um, and as i've mentioned before i mean if you there 's something that you want to hear, uh, maybe not necessarily just saying hi, but there 's something you want to hear us discuss as we move on to season two and we start getting a little bit beyond basics, um, you know, whether it be talking about multi-classing and building some like crazy builds just whatever just let me know sorry go ahead with our website
1: yep the website is the vitamin dnd podcast.wordpress.com again that's the vitamin d the letter n d podcast at wordpress.com and don't forget to tell your friends and spread the word uh, and also keep an eye out and an ear out for the next episode but other than that take it easy and we'll see you after your long rest long rest, long rest finally you know what that means